Hey friends, this is Keith. Uh, we don't normally intro our podcast recordings, but we wanted to let you know that this past week we actually had a problem with our recording and uh, it got corrupted, and so we didn't get it like normal. But we did have a backup from our Zoom recording. It's quite a bit fuzzier, uh, so unfortunately the sound quality is not great, but we wanted to let you know that that's what's going on, and at least we did uh, get it recorded for you. Uh, so hopefully next week we'll be back to a nice sharp recording if you happen to be one of those who listens into these uh, messages. Otherwise, thanks for listening and have a great week. Okay, uh, we are friends in the middle or nearing the end of a conversation that we are having that's really the beginning of the year to get back to some of the basics of a radical faith. Uh, over the, the course of many centuries, what Christianity once looked like and was intended to be has often become mixed up with cultural assumptions and uh, selfishness and religious attitudes all kind of coming together and muddling up the message of Jesus that once flipped the world upside down and now looks kind of like uh, very comfortable allegiances with power uh, off too often and roads and rules that keep a lot of people out and, uh, and just a few in. And so today uh, we're continuing on this, on this step. So we've talked about these five big statements, taken one each week, um, about what does it look like to, what are some of the key markers of a Jesus-centered movement? So we talked about, just for review, we talked about how uh, we read the scriptures in a unique way, that God has always looked like Jesus, and so all scriptures properly read through him. And when we understand that, we begin to see the beauty of, of the message. Uh, we talked about how um, the gospel, God's good news, is not just me and God, but it's belonging to a community that's under Jesus, called to live the future of the kingdom of God right now. So we are, we are called, a part of God's rescue is creating a community that looks like heaven on earth, imperfectly, but we need each other. And the last week... We talked about uh, a radical relationship with power, that, that in, in the good news of Jesus, the way we address evil and the way we address um, ugliness in the world is not by force for force. It's not equal and opposite. Instead, uh, evil is overcome through the power of suffering love. So we talked about all of that. And then this week, we get to talk about a spirit-led purpose. The Holy Spirit empowers us to partner with God's work of reconciling all things. So we're talking a little bit about this idea of the Holy Spirit. And then next week is a new approach to disagreement, that the church becomes defined by our shared center, not the lines we draw. So those are five markers. They're not the only five markers, but they're five important markers for what it looks like to have a Jesus-centered faith. All right, so this week, this week's a lot of fun. If we are honest, having a conversation about the Holy Spirit can be really strange because the Holy Spirit is a whole lot of things in the scriptures and it's really amorphous. It's, it, how, how do we describe him, her, it? I mean, like even those questions are very, very up in the air, right? Um, part of it is that the, the writers of the Bible, and there were many of them, uh, they never give us a systematic definition of, of the Spirit. So, so we get lots of stories, and we get lots of descriptions, but never anything clean. Like, like in, in the book of John, it kind of looks like it's Jesus' actual spirit, 
like Jesus breathing his spirit, but then another time it seems like more separate from Jesus, like I'm sending something else, you know, who, who will represent me and teach you. And, and so, so there's this like, well, what, what is it? It's almost like the, uh, the Peter Parker and the Spider-Man thing. Like, I mean, you've never seen them both at the same time, but they're the same. Or are, like, there's just all sorts of questions when we think about this, uh, right? And so, so the primary words for spirit in the scripture are ruach and pneuma in the Old and New Testament. And so uh, ruah means wind, and pneuma means breath. This is not a whole lot more helpful. <laughs> you know how like teachers, like, like preachers and stuff, they're always like, let me give you the meaning of the word. Now it all makes sense, right? Like, okay, like that's, 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 that's great. The, the spirit's often described as resting on or anointing people. Okay, all right. Um, these are beautiful descriptions. They're somewhat evocative images, uh, but they're not super clean definitions. Once again, what does it mean that, that the breath of God rests on me? Like, that's really beautiful. Like, but if it's, is it, God's just a close talker? <laughs> like, what? It sounds powerful. But so, so even then, the language that we use to identify the Spirit becomes a bit abstract, right? Uh, we call the, the Spirit the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. That's a lot more comfortable for everyone, uh, right? And so, so the other members of, of, our, of our Trinity, this God in one who meets us in different ways, you know, is like really clear and everybody's got a name. So the Father is this Yahweh, the Son is Jesus, and then the Spirit is we get nothing. I, it would kind of be nice, right? I'm the Wendy, Quinn, like, uh, like to have something there that helps us feel like we can grasp this concept just a little bit more. So it can be hard because our, our, our language feels so limited. And that's probably why the reason, the, the ideas surrounding the Holy Spirit are so diverse. If you read five books on the Holy Spirit, guess how many perspectives you're going to get on the Holy Spirit? Five, yes, ten, yeah. Uh, so, so what ends up happening, right? You can range from, well, the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is, is exactly what it looked like and how it looked like in the book of Acts. Today, you can get the perspective that says, well, the Spirit did certain things at, at certain times and does not work like that anymore. You can get what I grew up with in my... Um, Anna Baptist background, that's A-N-A, not anti. I was always like, what do you got, what's your, what do you have beef against the Baptist for? Anabaptist, not anti-Baptist, but Anabaptist, which was just uh, like kind of the, the Mennonite brethren Quaker movement. That's my spiritual history. For, for them, the Holy Spirit was often Jiminy Cricket, the still small voice inside, and nothing more. It was your conscience, which is great. I think that there's truth in many of these things but not something that was particularly active in my experience or my, my an, an active emphasis in my life. Um, but, but this is what you get, right? And so with all of that, what we end up doing is we're not quite sure what to do with the spirit. We don't really know where and how this thing fits or should fit into our lives and into a Jesus-centered faith, particularly. Um, but one of the biggest things that's a part of that, is that we don't really have an imagination for the Spirit's movement. And the risk in not having a
imagination for the Spirit's movement is that then our faith and our life becomes a philosophy. So Jesus becomes a guru, which I believe he is. Jesus is my guru. Jesus is my teacher. But what ends up happening is that, that we actually don't need any active presence to live and be faithful. All we need is the information that we had that was recorded 2,000 years ago and the right commitments to that. And then I guess we just, we just do it, you know? We've got, the, we've got the plan. Now we just follow all the rules in the right way with the good heart. But it doesn't require active attentiveness to what new thing God might be stirring or what direction God might be moving in our lives. And so there's this missing impulse. So we believe a lot of good and right things about the Spirit, um, but, but we haven't often interacted and experienced, like, like watching baseball all the time, knowing lots of stats, but having never swung that. And so, so there's something missing. We lack kind of the, the muscle memory uh, in our lives that is different than maybe other experiences of how we understand Jesus or, or the Father. So, uh, so we get this intellectual experience of thinking maybe about the Spirit, maybe even talking about the Spirit, but very little um, of following the Spirit of, of Jesus or the Spirit that looks like Jesus that sparks our imagination. So what we're going to do to spark imagination is we are going to review some of the crazy Holy Spirit stories in the book of Acts and be reminded what this Spirit does and what it may want to do in us. So the first story comes in Acts 2. It's the most famous Spirit story, and it's what we celebrate on the day of Pentecost, all right? And so if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know that uh, after Jesus uh, left, at the end of Luke and Acts are written by the same author, so it's actually one big volume, Luke-Acts. It's one big book. So at the end of Luke, um, Jesus dies. He rises again in, in the book. end of Luke, he mentions it, but also at the beginning of Acts, he tells them, I'm going to send something. So just hang tight, and, you know, I'll meet you. And they're like, we don't quite understand this. And he's like, I know, you're not supposed to understand it, but just stay and wait. I'm going to send you and empower you in a new way. So they are staying in this, more or less, upper room on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was, interestingly, before we call it what we call it, it was already a holiday, all right? So Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. Originally, it started as an, as an agriculture holiday, so a, a, a holiday of, of um, harvest. But it was also, it had morphed over the generations, it was also a, a remembrance of Moses bringing the law down from Mount Sinai, okay? So the, the, the day of Pentecost, you remember the story that God led his people by giving them from on high the law to follow so that they could be a good community, a faithful community. All right? This is important. It's really cool. Uh, so, so that's what happened. Um, God delivering his law to the people to unify them through obedience. And so what ends up happening in the story is they're, they're waiting and celebrating that. And they're all together in one place. And then there was this sound, like a violent wind. All right? This, this crazy experience where there's like this... And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God, whatever that means came down like, it, it, it almost looked like tongues of fire, so little flames coming down that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, 
This literally means began to speak in other languages. Okay? In other languages as the Spirit enables them. So all of a sudden, the disciples start speaking in different languages than the ones that were familiar to them. All right? Uh, and, and I want to just, uh, yeah, I, I want you to just take note of that fourth verse because this is an amazing and startling moment. It's, it's startling for a couple reasons. Number one, not every day do you learn to speak fluently in another language without ever studying it. I am still stumbling my way through Spanish, and I'm at day 467 on Duolingo. So, so this is, you know, this is, this is rare. But here's the thing. It's even more startling because the disciples were not prepared for what this meant, for what it meant that they were speaking in different tongues. Uh, this is not the first time that they have heard about the Spirit or encountered the Spirit. Jesus has been talking about it. And when Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit, or you should be waiting for their spirit, in Acts 1, they ask Jesus, just before this, they ask Jesus a question. They say, Lord, is this, this time, is this the time then that you're going to restore Israel? Restore the kingdom, I'm sorry, restore the kingdom to Israel. They're right to ask this question, because Jesus often, and throughout the scriptures, there is this connection between spirit and kingdom. In Luke 11, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. And they pray for all these kingdom things. Our Father, this is the Luke's version of, of the Lord's Prayer. And then at the end, say, God will be so delighted to give you his spirit as you pray. So there's this idea that you're praying for God's kingdom to come, but then God will give you his spirit to accomplish that. All right? So there's this linkage. In Luke 4, uh, when Jesus enters the scene, he gives all of this language. The spirit of the Lord is on me. So there's spirit language. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There's kingdom language. To proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight, set the oppressed free. So Jesus links, the spirit of God is on me, and therefore it's time for the kingdom to come in new ways. All right? This is the connection. This is why this matters. All of a sudden, we keep moving. And like I said, in, in Acts, when Jesus says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They gather around him and say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, they're right. Good question. Okay, so the disciples, they knew what this was. They had hope and expectation for when God's spirit would come, the kingdom would come on earth. But the hope that they had was for Israel. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice that they don't ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to the world? Hmm. And so then, when the moment of Pentecost comes, what happens? Because if the kingdom was about to be restored to Israel, you would think everyone outside of the room would begin speaking in what? Hebrew. Yeah, in Hebrew. But instead what happens is they begin speaking the language of the outsiders. This is big. This is really important. And it's not just intellectual knowledge. This has a, a deep bearing on how we understand Christian faith. So what ends up happening is that, that Pentecost becomes this incredibly startling moment. And which languages are they speaking? This is important, too. Utterly amazed. Aren't all these, so people outside the, the building or outside the room hear this. Aren't all these guys Galileans? Not particularly educated have not traveled much, and definitely not fluent in a lot of languages. 
How is it then that each of us hears them? And all this is pointing to me, it's, you know, my residence in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, all of these places. Wait a minute. Visitors from Rome. So what we're hearing here is that the disciples, the Hebrew disciples in an occupied Roman place, all of a sudden start proclaiming God's goodness in the Roman languages? Are you serious? This is, this is languages that represent all the known world, including Rome, the occupier. And so this confirms what Jesus said was going to happen, which is that you will one day be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to all people. And this is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, meets us in our rooms and challenges our limitations, challenges our boundaries, challenges and breaks down our barriers, our sin that often keeps us from each other and from God. All right? And this, this has always been the role of the Spirit. You know, and, 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 and when the Spirit does, when the Spirit works, it's really important. When the Spirit works, we kind of have disconnected. I mentioned a Jesus-centered faith. We've kind of really disconnected, like the Holy Spirit working, which is just this weird, magical, say whatever, go wherever, do whatever. But Jesus connects it very deeply to himself. He says, listen, you know, the Holy Spirit will send you in my name, and he, the Spirit's going to teach you all the things and remind you of everything that I've said. So every time the Holy Spirit moves, it's going to move you in the same direction that I did. It's going to have the same values that I did. The Spirit and, and the Son are not separate any more than the Father and the Son are. And Jesus said, there is no separation. So the way the Spirit nudges us will always be toward the things and the values of Jesus. It won't just be some crazy stuff. I mean, it might feel like that, but the end result, if it's the Spirit, will be a Jesus-like movement and action. Um, and when, so, so the disciples get it, and when they get it, we get this crazy story. 3,000 people come to Jesus that day, at the day of Pentecost. It, it kickstarts the entire movement, and the 3,000 people that come, I'm guessing, have all sorts of different backgrounds, which expanded the whole thing even further, right? Peter gives this great message, all this stuff. It says, come to Jesus, turn. So that's the first movement. But it's not the last time that they have to wrestle with their understanding of the Spirit of God, which leads us to the next story. And that's in Acts 10. And this is approximately seven years later, friends. Okay? So seven years have now passed since the, the moment of Pentecost. And, and Peter is praying on a roof. All right? Peter's praying on a roof. And in verse 10, we are told in Acts 10, 10, that he becomes hungry and has a vision. And this... This is something, finally, that we can relate to. Hangry visions, right? Like, this is, this is something. We fall into a trance as well, uh, sometimes, if there's not enough food available. Or, I'm not going to say we. Let's, let's have integrity and speak for ourselves. I'll talk about me. So, in this trance, Peter's super hungry. And in this trance, I, and by the way, it should not be lost on you that Jesus is, or that Peter is hungry. He's hungry, and there's a meal being prepared. And this is when he has the vision. Very important. And of course, the vision is about food. Uh, so he has this vision, and what he sees is kind of God from the heavens bringing down all these animals that Jews aren't allowed to eat. 
We'll keep this really simple, okay? And then he hears a voice that says, Peter, kill and eat. Like, take this food. And Peter knows that this is a trap. He knows that God's testing him because he's really faithful. He says, no, I, clearly I won't do that. Lord, you know I'm faithful. And he has the same vision again and the same vision again. And this time it comes with a voice that says, don't call unclean what I am declaring clean. And it is very confusing to a guy like Peter. Okay? It's very confusing. Let's be honest. It would be confusing to any of us, right? Um, and so, so anyways, he gets this vision. He gets this message from God that says, hey, I'm declaring this food is allowable. Why do you keep saying no, no, no? All right? So while he's thinking about this, the Spirit says to him in the same kind of like finishing the vision, hey, Simon, Simon Peter, same guy used by both names throughout the scripture. Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. All right? And lo and behold, he goes downstairs, and what does he find? He finds these men who have been sent by a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Okay? Every one of those words matters that I just said. He has been sent by a Roman, non-Jew, centurion, occupying force, to go and bring him, which I'm sure he was like, could you tell me just a little more about your motives before this? But he goes along because he's heard, he's heard the voice of God telling him. So, so here's this officer in an occupying army. In every single way, this man is Peter's enemy. He has conquered his home. He has killed Jesus. That's, that's how the Jews would have, that's how Peter and they, they would have thought all of this. And, and so, but because the Spirit says go, Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and there's this crowd that's come to hear the message that Peter's supposed to bring. And he's amazed to see all these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, that are gathered here to hear the good news. And, and so he says to them, which is really, really interesting, he says to them, uh, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Can we just pause here and say that for seven years, after being with Jesus and Pentecost, Peter had not interacted with a non-Jewish person. You talk about how it takes time for growth. Eugene Peterson calls discipleship a long obedience in the same direction. It sometimes takes a lot of time for us to start to understand what God's really all about. But to Peter's credit, he has ears to hear at this point, and what he says right after that is he says, you know that it's against our law. He struggled with this, by the way, for many years, many years. This, this, yeah. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So Peter had this Pentecost experience, but he still had barriers and limitations in him. But he's hearing the Spirit, the Spirit, and eventually saying, I, I know God doesn't show favoritism because God's revealing it to me in ways that I might not have gotten there on my own. So, God will accept folks from every nation who want to come. So, Peter doesn't get it, but then he does. And he realizes that God is doing something so much bigger. So when he shares in verse 47, when he shares this at the end, he sees that... Um, that they receive the Spirit. Just, and I mean, we're kind of given the idea, it's almost a Pentecost experience again, but he sees clearly that they have both the openness and that the Spirit is working and, and moving in them. And he says this, 
Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. That was the sign of the early church, and we still practice that. Choosing to be baptized is a step toward identifying my identity with, with Jesus. The death, the resurrection, the cleansing, all of it. So, so Peter says, hey, nobody can stand in the way here. We see God at work. This is called irony, friends. Do you know why? Because moments before, Peter was the guy standing in the way. No one, no, one should, no one can stand in the way of this, Peter's saying. And I'm sure the Spirit's like, no kidding. That's what I was trying to say to you all along. Uh, but it's a beautiful moment. So, so the Spirit meets Peter there as the Spirit meets and leads the others. And he leads Peter to his enemy, where Peter realizes the truth, gets out of the way, and he finally gets to participate in the Spirit's work. It's a beautiful moment. But it's not universally seen as a beautiful moment in the early church, which leads us to our final story. So there's this great moment of Gentiles and non-Jewish people being included in the movement, the spirit breaking down walls. And as we move through Acts, we continue. And by the way, the, we often think that the book of Acts is like the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually the, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the, type, that's, that's the name. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Spirit. Um, that's creepy. Uh, okay, so where were we? Um, okay, so the church is struggling with welcoming Gentiles. This is, by the way, the storyline of the book of Acts. The storyline of the book of Acts is God saying, I'm trying to break down your assumptions that you're the only chosen people. Will you welcome? Will you break down your, let's call it what it is, will you break down your racist ideals because Jesus has already been exampling this, or will you dig in? Okay? And so this is the story, and this is, it brings tons of conflict in the book of Acts. But people keep joining, non-Jewish non people keep joining the movement because Jesus is just that compelling and the Spirit's at work. So in Acts 15, uh, after, this is, this is nine years-ish after Cornelius. So we're talking 15 years 16, something like that, after Pentecost, all right? There's this council in Jerusalem that convenes. And the question that they're asking is, what do we do with these non-Jewish people that are wanting to join the movement? How much do we make them act like us? And how much do we not make them act like us to be a part of it? Do they have to become Jewish, act Jewish, follow, follow Torah, which is Jewish law, or not? And so, and, and that includes a whole lot of work, if the answer is yes. Being faithful to Torah was, was a full-time job. It would be a complete reorientation of, of the Gentile kingdom. And so every, all the parties present their case. Peter defends the Gentiles. Um, let's see, Paul tells stories. And when each of them is finished, James, half-brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem, speaks up. And here's what he says. Um, uh, yeah, James speaks up, and, uh, and he says, listen, it's... it's my judgment that we shouldn't make it more difficult. Instead, we should write to them, telling them kind of the basic ideas. And a lot of these were cultural, some of them were personal, right? So telling them, listen, instead of having to follow the entire Torah, uh, don't, don't eat food for idols because people will think that you're engaging in, in worship of that way. It's not because the food's a problem, it's because of how it will appear to people and it'll be confusing. Um, Sexual immorality, that was a lot about temple worship, but it was also about personal integrity. And from the meat of strangled animals and blood, that was getting into a little bit of very, very important law. 
for Jewish people. And therefore, if you don't do this, there might be so many Jews that reject you that this could be an unnecessary barrier to you. So, so come our way on this one. In the other ways, you're allowed to be Gentiles who follow Jesus instead of Gentiles who became Jews who follow Jesus. Okay? But here's what's really cool. So they write this letter. Um, we get a few verses down, and then in verse, verse 28 and 29, they kind of reiterate it. And here's the letter that they end up sending to the Gentile people. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Not to burden you with anything beyond the following, what we just talked about. Like, seemed good is a really funny phrase when you're thinking about just throwing out the Torah. Like, yeah, I mean, we thought about it a little bit. It seems, seemed good. Seems like a good idea. I don't know. That's not really what the, the language is getting at. Um, other translations translate it as the Spirit led us to not burden you with anything beyond the following. Um, but the, the Greek word for, for that seemed, it often means presumed, supposed. We thought about, but it can also mean imagine. So, so one way of looking at this language would be we imagined with the Holy Spirit that a way forward would be these things. And I love that because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives us an imagination for what is good and beautiful and new. So this, is, this moment happens 15 years into the Spirit's leading, guiding, and teaching. And this is the moment that finally opens up the church. Finally makes the church move forward in their ability to be as welcoming as the Spirit is trying to get them to be. Uh, they, they are able to then imagine Jesus' kingdom and always seeing it as being better and bigger than they expect. On their own, they couldn't have gotten there. It had to be a work of the Spirit. So they needed Pentecost, and they needed Cornelius, and they needed so many other encounters with the Spirit. Uh, and, and that Spirit, when we encounter, will do similar things. Unravel the barriers that we often have within ourselves, and within our imagination for how God can work. The Spirit wants to help us see more of what God's doing. The Spirit wants us to get out of the way and join in what God's up to. And so we need a Spirit-saturated imagination, because without it, we have no imagination often for what God is doing. Um, so, I, I mean, what the Spirit does is it, the Spirit testifies it. It gives us a conviction that we are God, <laughs> that we belong to God. It communicates to us that... The good news is available, and it's bigger. We are reminded that we are loved when we hear the voice of the Spirit. We are united together in the midst of possible differences. The Spirit transforms terrorists into disciples, and more. So, I mentioned earlier that the Holy Spirit keeps Christianity from becoming a philosophy, uh, simply just a way of trying to be good in the world. It keeps us expectant. And it keeps opening doors within our own souls so the good news can keep getting bigger and better. But um, practically, it requires, um, whoops, you're supposed to be dwelling on that. <laughs> practically, it requires, I think, a couple things. The first one is uh, space to pay attention, all right? So, so if we are wanting to be a people who understand that the spirit is active, then we have to be people Um, we have to be people who make space to be looking around 
and paying attention to wherever the Spirit may be at work, right? We need to be able to look. And we often don't. Because we're distracted, because we're very focused on maybe rule following as what the, instead of, instead of the way of love and looking up and around, very focused on ourselves. Um, we have like sins that get in the way of us being able to hear the Spirit because we're just moving toward, toward the self-focus, whatever is good for us, instead of saying, I want to be available, God. And just busyness, right? We just have to learn how to slow down. Um, before I got into birds, you know, I love talking about my birds. Uh, before I got into birds and, and noticing them, all the same birds were still around. <laughs> all those years. Like, for the first 36 years of my life, there were birds. Like, most places I went, it's kind of shocking. But once I, once I became a birder and started to love encountering all the beauty, then everywhere I went, I learned to look for them. It became a way of life. And it, it, sometimes it just means attentiveness in the going. And then sometimes it means pausing and looking. But like every single morning when I arrive here, it doesn't matter, I was, I was running about 10 minutes behind my normal schedule today. You still, I still took a look and just went and stood at the fence and just scanned the retention pond. Because soon the great herons are gonna be coming in. The great blue herons are already here. The green herons are around. The osprey often fly over. So, so you just keep a, an eye out and you never know what you might notice. And now when I drive around, I just I notice which birds are on the lines when I park in a parking lot. And then other times I actually go and seek out places where I can just sit. But, but I've learned to be attentive to that. And the reason is because they caught my imagination and I learned that life is more beautiful when you're aware of what's going on around you. And so, so it's, it's like that, but it takes space, right? It requires space to pay attention. And for the spirit, that looks like intentional prayer. It looks like choosing to remove distractions. It looks like asking good questions of our friends of where they see God at work maybe with us. It can look like all sorts of things. Um, and it certainly looks like releasing destructive habits and attitudes that shut us down from God's goodness. So all of those things play a role. And the second thing is that if we have space to pay attention, we have to have a willingness to change direction. This is the hard one. Because the Spirit often challenges our assumptions. And, and listen to me, please, friends. Don't, don't be thinking, yeah, yeah, the Spirit, I, I, I know the assumptions that the Spirit needs to challenge in the person sitting beside me. <laughs> because we often assume, if we've had any moments like this, we assume we've arrived. Right? I'm sure Peter thought he had it figured out after the Pentecost moment. I mean, they'd been given the Spirit. But there was still more to learn, still more to love. It was this ongoing journey. So, so if we want to listen to the Spirit, we have to be willing to say, ah, oh, I'm going to learn in a new way. I'm going to engage with a new person. I, I'm, I'm going to rethink some of my assumptions if I sense that God is drawing me. The way I think about people, the way I view any number of things. And there's such beauty in that because what it does is it creates in us a humility that then helps us pause from being so judgmental toward other people, too. If we walk around assuming that God still has more to teach us, then we become a whole lot great, more gracious with people that we may want to act like, well, they sure don't get it. Maybe they don't. You don't either. We see through a glass that is very dimly lit right now. Thank goodness we have Jesus. 
because Jesus gives us clarity of what God looks like with skin on. But goodness gracious, let's stay humble in this in this journey. And so, um, so I, I guess when we do these things, when we're willing to take new risks, when we feel that prompting, that bump from the Spirit, uh, the Spirit will work, and she will draw us into new situations. I think you can. Do whatever you want with the gender of the Holy Spirit, because these things are beyond gender, but, um, but in the original language, the Hebrew word is feminine word, so stop freaking out. Uh, so anyways, uh, the good news, with life with the Spirit, the good news will become bigger and better, always. But here's the thing, you know I've been waiting for this, because each week I have a lot to, uh, to live up to. Yeah, so here's your image, get ready. Okay, so, you know my animation game has been spot on lately. Uh, and so, so the reminder is that as we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we may be surprised, but the Spirit will always still look like Jesus. So, so let's, let's be open. Let's be expected. And let's pray. Father, thanks for the challenge. Uh, of not being distant and inviting us into something deeper. Jesus, thank you for giving us your example. Also your barrier-breaking sacrifice your wisdom, and your spirit. Spirit, thank you for being present with us. In the ways that we are closed off, we ask that we might be open once again. In the areas that we think visions and dreams and images are impossible, Lord, restore our imagination. But always in everything, keep us, keep us moving toward you at our center. Amen. Amen.